0: The first reading comes from the book of Psalms. Let us listen that we may hear. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright and the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has gained, renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He has sent his people into the power of his works and giving the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just, and his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. God has sent redemption to God's people and has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all who practice it have a good understanding. God's praise endures forever. The Word of the Lord. Be to God. The t- reading from the New Testament comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, the eighth chapter. Let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us. <clears throat> now, concerning food that has been sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, knowledge puffs up but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge, but anyone who loves God is known by God. Hence, as to to the eating of the food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block for the weak. For if others see you who possess knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, might they not since their conscience is weak be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols so by your knowledge those weak believers for whom christ died are destroyed but when you thus sin against a member of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak you sin against christ therefore if food is the cause of their falling i will never eat meat so that i may not cause one of them to fall. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> are we there yet? Yeah, almost. One more sermon to endure. Um, yeah, it's, it's a refrain that sort of repeats itself, and, and when you get the annual report, you'll see that I, I use it as well in that. But are we healed and recovered and whole Are we ready for what is next? A journey is measured not only by how far there is to go to the destination, it is also measured by how far we have come from the beginning. Church, First Presbyterian Church, Columbus, Georgia, you have come a long way, a long, long way in the last 30 months. You have stabilized yourself after a very difficult period of life, and you have exercised one of the basic functions that a congregation can have, and that is to call your next installed pastor. Yet, yeah, there is more to do. This is not the completion of your work. You cannot simply say, okay, we got a new guy. It's Let, let that person run with it. No, you are in a way station of your faithfulness as you join together with your new pastor and you join together to continue the work that you are doing now. There are moments in life when we may be tempted to think we have arrived. We think we've made it, all is well, things are good. But then something happens and we wonder. Maybe you have been in such a situation. Maybe you have been in a place where what seemed to be security evaporated in the twinkling of an eye. We can be tempted to get comfortable, yet there are times when our discomfort rises up out of the very comfort that we had, and we are forced to confront new realities. A number of years ago, I was invited to interview to be a installed pastor, uh, to be one that would stay for a number of years, more than a number of months. The interview was several hundred miles away from my home, and it was in a place that was not real easy to get to by air. So, we agreed that I would drive. At that time, we had a minivan. I know what you might say, a minivan, you know. We had two kids and a dog, and we were happy with the minivan, but I loved my minivan. When I was in high school, I wanted a Volkswagen bus. Whole nother story, I didn't get it. So in my mind's eye, when I was driving that minivan, I was just driving my Volkswagen bus, and I was happy. I was happy with where we were. I was happy with the fact that I had this interview and the possibilities that it had before me. All the signs were good. I drove these several hundred miles and just as I was getting to that town, the check engine light began to flash in a way that I had never seen a check engine light flash before. I mean, it was saying something is wrong and then smoke began coming out from underneath the hood. Turns out that the head gasket on the engine had blown. So I had to find a mechanic and place it there. I had the interview, things went well. I started back home and I hadn't gotten 50 miles down the road and I still had several hundred more to go before the check engine light kept coming on again and the head gasket blew again. All of that repair work had gone for naught. man. Okay. But then the church committee never told me their decision. Never. Not an email, not a phone call, nothing. And you figure out after a while that it's not what you want it to be. So, have you ever been in a place like that? You think things are really great, maybe it's at work, things seem to be coming along and then all of a sudden the company is sold, or the economy goes bad, or you don't hit your metrics, and you find yourself demoted or unemployed, wondering what's gonna be next. Maybe you've been working on your health for a long time and you're in great shape and somehow You get exposed to some sort of toxin that just makes you painfully sick for weeks and months on end. Maybe you fall down and you break a bone. Maybe you develop pneumonia or the flu. Maybe there's some sort of weird disease that you can't even pronounce that nobody in your family has ever had that pops up. And you wonder, things were going so well, what's happened? The other day, I heard a snippet of a story on the radio. It was about a financial planner, and he spent his work life trying to tell people to plan for the unexpected, and that was what he worked on. But then the economy did go down, his business began to suffer, and in the process, he and his wife got a divorce. He said, I was planning for the unexpected, Then I realized, if it's unexpected, it cannot fully be expected. Yeah. Like Yogi Berra said, you come to a fork in the road and you take it. We can't fully even understand. We can prepare to the best of our ability, but circumstances sometimes overwhelm us. We want to be comfortable. And when we arrive at that moment of comfort, we find ourselves that we are challenged and that we might not be quite as comfortable. The phrase comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable was written by Peter Finley Dunn. He was an American newspaper writer and author living 100 years or so ago he was talking about newspaper work and muckraking journalism, muckraking in a positive sense of being there to share information that people needed to know, Sinclair Lewis and all that stuff. But that phrase has been used since then by any number of people to describe their work or, or how to live life, and it's even been ascribed to the life of the church Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Providing comfort to those who are in need. Emotional, physical, spiritual. That's a self-evident part of being a follower of Jesus. I mean, Jesus said, come unto me, those of you who are weary. And Jesus said, welcome the little children. Yet, Jesus also confronted the powers of the world Jesus turned over the tables in the temple, and he said some pretty uncharitable things about some of the religious leaders. And throughout Scripture, there are accounts of individuals holding people in power accountable for what they had done. Nathan called out the king, David, and said, because you sent Uriah into battle to be killed, because you slept with his wife. You are the man, you are the one who is guilty of transgression. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Amos all called out and said, there are things we need to listen to in the world, rulers and people. So there is a tradition and a power in our Christian faith that is to afflict the comfortable And to realize that when we get comfortable, we need to be aware and attend to those self-deception abilities and characteristics. We need to open ourselves to that possibility. The church in Corinth was a Christian community in the middle of a prosperous and pagan dominated culture. Now, pagan means simply non-Christian. There were shrines and worship for all sorts of cultural ancient gods with a little g god. And many of those practiced animal sacrifice. That was part of the religious practice of those days. And after the animal sacrifice, the question was, what do you do with the carcass? The meat was prepared and sold because it raised money for that particular religious sect, and it also got rid of a big problem. And within the Christian community that was in Corinth, some of whom had been in these pagan communities before, they had a debate about what do we do with these places where they prepare meat and sell it that's been offered as a sacrifice to a pagan god. I'm thinking that sort of sounds like a pretty rare conversation today. We go to the grocery store and we can look and see that the, the um, salmon is from Norway and the shrimp is from the Gulf Coast and there's tilapia from Chile. We can find that the strawberries came from Mexico or maybe they came from Florida or Georgia even or California. We know where the food comes from, but I'm willing to bet, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm willing to bet none of us really care what the religious preference of the producers of that food is. Could be wrong, I know, but I'm thinking. So this eighth chapter of 1 of, uh, Corinthians is kind of like, what? Why'd he choose that one? Well, maybe... Because it is so alien, it can give us an opportunity to do a little experimentation. Because we really don't have a dog in that fight, I don't think. We really aren't concerned with the same way that that the Corinthians were. But maybe there's something that Paul says that we can listen to. Some of those people in that emerging Christian community said, No, food that is offered to an alien God, to a pagan God, we can't eat that. It's been polluted, it's tainted, it's not any good for us. And others said, What does it matter? Meat is meat. We don't recognize the power of those deities. We're not going to give them any power. They're superstitions anyway. It's good meat. Let's not let it go to waste. It's not our issue today. But we can see how Paul used his guidance to the Corinthians. There are a couple of critical themes that Paul always lifts up in his writings, and they are the freedom of faith that we have in Jesus Christ and the way in which the church, as Jesus followers, we're connected to each other. What I do matters to you and what you do matters to me. We're connected. Twice in First Corinthians, Paul uses these words, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful. That's the grace we have in Jesus Christ that God gives us. We have a tremendous amount of freedom, not, not in the sense of political rights, but in the sense of being connected to God and being able to live in the fullness of God's creation we have can claim the gifts that god has given us that is our freedom and we are connected to each other attending to the needs paul counsels the believers in a way to accept each other to be tolerant and to use each other and he says to them he says if you're going to don't cause any of your brothers or sisters to fall that's great, that's powerful, and it's, been, it's good advice. But what happens when you do that, when you do something to not have your brother or sister fall, but your brother or sister doesn't care, and they do things that cause you to fall? How do you handle that? Does that practice lead to the charge that Christians are nothing more than doormats for a stronger point of view? No. I don't believe so. In reality, to be a follower of Jesus requires more strength of character, more faith, more hope, more love, more trust in God, in other people, and in ourselves than any other way of life. I recently discovered a book by a Presbyterian theologian and author named James Calvin Davis. The book is called Forbearance, A Theological Ethic for a Disagreeable Church, great title. A Disagreeable Church, and I don't know, have y'all know any of those? How do we live together? I wish I hadn't found it earlier, but the reality was it only was published about six months ago, so in the wake of all of the arguments that have happened in our Presbyterian denomination and in many other Christian denominations and many other places in society. Davis wanted to think about how we disagree over things. And of course, the the issue du jour that prompted this was same-sex relationships. The reality is there are a lot of people in the world outside the church that don't care what the church thinks about same-sex relationships, one way or the other. But in the church, we've had some disagreements over that. Some hard words have been said. Davis argues that the way forward is not so much beating up each other one way or the other, but the way forward is to find this gift and practice of forbearance He takes that word from one of Paul's letters to the the one to the Ephesians. In the beginning of chapter 4, Paul says, I encourage you to live as people worthy of your call that you have received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, with gentleness and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. The old King James Version actually uses that word forbearance. Conduct yourselves with humility and lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Walking with each other, sharing with each other, making an effort that goes beyond just saying, I'm just gonna let you go off and do whatever you wanna do, but saying, I want to be with you, I want to walk with you, I want to understand, and when we do not agree Let us find ways to live together for good. Davis spends 200 pages talking about this issue and challenge. How do we develop this discipline of forbearance? And he notes there are five marks of a Christian community, of a congregation, of a denomination, of any group of Christians that seeks to live in a way of forbearance and practice forbearance. The first is... Find ways to move beyond tolerating different viewpoints. In other words, he says embrace people of different views. Don't accept their views, but embrace them. Allow them to sit next to you, realizing that they may have something to teach you, knowing that you have something to teach them. Invest in critical study. Spend time. It takes effort. It's hard. Never. Close the door to changing your mind. Whoa. Never close the door to changing your mind. Regularly worship together around reading of Scripture, knowing that the Word was made flesh in Jesus Christ and celebrating the sacraments of communion and baptism. And the last one, change how you think about winning and losing. Winning is not simply victory for one side and defeat for the other. Winning becomes a moment of reconciliation. For those who are on the winning side, acknowledge that there are those who do not agree with you. And losing becomes a moment for faithfulness, where you trust God's sovereignty. He writes this, When the moment seems wise, we yield in the struggle, even if we are dissatisfied with the result. For we care about the health of the body of Christ, and we trust that the decisions of the fallible human beings will not discourage the enduring grace of God. Whether you win or whether you lose, there are some other things that are at stake. When the moment seems wise, we yield in the struggle, even if we are dissatisfied with the result. For we care more about the health of the body of Christ, and we trust that the decisions of fallible human beings, that means us, will not discourage the enduring grace of God. That describes what I have seen and I have observed here at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia, over the last 30 months. You are not there yet, but you are on the way. And you know something about developing this practice of forbearance It may not be perfect, but you are there. It is not simply a matter of saying, oh, it really doesn't matter. All is well and done. No, you know it does does matter. And you know that you are developing a way of living with each other and the world so that you bear witness to the light of Christ. You have been comforted in your affliction. And you have given comfort in your affliction. And Lord knows there's been plenty of that but you also know your comfort is not an excuse to ignore challenges that are around you and even among you. Conduct yourself with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make every effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.